0: Like she doesn't need Jesus. All right, we are live, I've been told. So uh good to see everybody tonight. I guess I'll turn my phone off. That would be that'd be nice, wouldn't it? It's my phone telling me we're live. See how that works. So all right. Sorry about that. All right, if you're joining us tonight, we're glad you're with us and uh just uh, let us know you're there if you got any questions anyway we can be a blessing let us know you'll see in the bottom right tab of the screen it's a prayer request button click on that share as the Lord would have you let us know how we can be praying that's private it's secure it only goes to one source it's not shared or broadcast so feel comfortable but uh, we we just want to be a blessing but glad you're with us tonight if you're uh, just catching up we are in the Uh, Start of a series in our uh, journey group Uh, Under that analogy, we're we're journeying through uh, Ephesians here In an expository manner, verse by verse And unpacking the truth of God uh, for our lives So uh, we're going to be wrapping up uh, the end of chapter 2 tonight As we continue to move forward And, And this is something to keep in mind here in the book of Ephesians It's a unique letter written by Paul that while there all his letters, you know, Corinth and, uh, and, uh, and Philippi and, and Ephesus here, they're written to the church. But what's unique about the church of Ephesus, Paul does not write concerning church order. He does in great detail. If we read uh, Philippians, if we read First and Second Corinthians, Paul is addressing church structure, leadership, uh, our, you know, just our, our our walk per se within the administration of the church. When he's writing to Ephesus here, he's writing to them about the most important part of the church, and that's the body of the church. Meaning, he's writing specifically why the church was established. And so, it, you when you read. Ephesians, keep that in mind in the manner, and we're really going to, to address that tonight and, uh, and hit home with that tonight. So uh, let's pray real quick, and uh, a couple of things, a couple of announcements I do want to make. Uh, this coming Sunday is the Lord's Supper, so we look forward to that. Uh, we'll continue in our series with James uh, in an abbreviated version during the uh, start of it. We put the emphasis on the, uh, the reverence of the Lord's Supper itself. But uh, a couple things. Uh, Vicky's doing well. She's uh, responding well to rehab and uh, at Legends. Uh, if you're out and about, and you want to stop by. She's in room 308, or text or call her. She'd love to hear from you. But uh, she's she's doing well. Uh, it's challenging because she was so far behind. So she's a real sore, and she has easy days and hard days. But the main thing is she's responding. Uh, second thing though to keep in prayer, Julia. Uh, had some difficulties this morning she passed out a couple times and uh, they had to rush her to the ER and get her heart checked her heart rate was way up uh, so before tonight came up here she was walking around the floor her heart rate was staying uh, level steady uh, she was having uh, AFib when she went in but uh, the last hour they were doing that was at, uh echocardiogram is that what it's called uh, on her heart so don't have the results from that but keep joey in prayer i'm sure a lot of it's stress from dealing with uh you know vicky's illness and the load her and steve have been under and Mike. but so just keep joey in prayer we'll keep you updated on that and because uh, she's eager to get back so let's pray and uh we'll get started tonight and uh keep on walking here through uh the book of ephesians father thank you for the opportunity together just ask tonight that you open our hearts, that we can just continue to grow in the grace and the power of your word. ask that you anoint every word that's spoken tonight. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, I, I was listening to another pastor, so I'm taking him at his word. Uh, it, what I'm about to say sounds authentic or accurate, but uh, if you'll allow me to take him at his word, I, I trust him. He, I listen to him often. But he was talking about a study that he himself read, uh, and it was done by uh, sociologists. uh, And and these cultural studies dealt with America, and it revealed two things, two truths. It was geared towards the church. One, uh, within our culture, one, the the survey or, or the study, I should say, revealed that there is a deep spiritual hunger for truth in America as of today. And I think that's 100% true. People are hungry for truth. And it's really a byproduct because there's so much distruth out there and everybody's searching for what is the truth. So this study revealed there's a deep spiritual hunger for truth within America. It's at an all time high. But two, this is interesting, within the same study, revealed but there is a move away from religious and inst- you know instructional church bodies now that, that that's kind of a oxymoron to a little bit hungry for truth but I'm fed up with church so if you're looking for truth outside the church body not the church entity the church body we're going to see tonight that this it goes directly against the Word of God. And yet this is our culture today. The study posed this question. Here was the question they used. Do you believe, that would be you and me if we were in the study, do you believe that you can be a very good Christian without attending the church? This is what they used. This, is one of the, this was the basis question. Do you believe that you can be a very good Christian without attending the church? 81%. This was a current studies by sociologists. 81% said, without a doubt, yes. Hence, that goes with the falling away from the church. Of course, they're going to say yes, because they don't think they need the church. They don't want to go to church. They're fed up with church. For whatever their reason is so it was a very interesting comment he was making about it but this makes what Paul's going to say tonight in Ephesians chapter 2 we're gonna look at verses 11 through 22 it it makes this passage of Scripture very difficult for them these body of people that 81% said that they could be good enough without going to church and they can do fine without going to church so, because in this passage, Paul talks about the why of church. And, and that's the misnomer right there. A lot of pastors will get up here and quote the Scripture, you know, don't forsake yourselves from assembling together. you got to come to church. you got to be in the church. Okay, well, why do we need to come to church? That's an important question in your spiritual walk. Why do we, or why should we be, even be in church? So let's walk through these passages, and we're going to answer three questions, I think, that are paramount for us to answer, especially here at the end of Ephesians 2. And we're going to come back and answer these through these scriptures. One, first question, how involved should we be in the church? That's a fair question. Well, how, how involved do I need to be? Two, What does a healthy church look like on the inside? And three, what would a healthy church, one that is healthy, what would a healthy church be engaged in outside the church? So I think these are three fair questions we want to answer. How involved should I be in church? What does a healthy church look like on the inside? And what would a healthy church be engaged in on the outside and i think we're going to see paul addresses this pretty clear for us so let's jump into this we're going to start in verse 11 and i'm just going to read along and and we're just going to stop through here and address some of these passages that paul's addressing and and i'm going to say this on before we jump into this you you know if you if you want to look at romans 5 2 you can write it down romans 5 uh it's verses 1 through 2. But when it, comes to a, when it comes to us being a part of the body, when we say church tonight, remember, we're not talking about the entity of a building or the administration. No, we're talking about the, the believers that make up the church. So as a person that's involved in church, part of the body of Christ, we need to be living in such a way that it's hard to be ordinary while we know such an extraordinary God. We should be living in such a way that it's hard to be ordinary when we know such an extraordinary God. That should be self-evidence. That should be seen through our fruits that we're bearing forth, that we're illustrating and showing the extraordinary aspects of God in His love, in His grace, in His mercy. So I just wanted to throw that in there. So let's look at verse 11 here. And, uh, and then we'll just start in right here. It says, Wherefore remember that you being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircum- uh, to uncircumcision by which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. And I'm reading out of the King James. I know it's, we got the ESV on the screen. It goes on to say in verse 12, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, so notice the two things Paul's pulling out here. Of course, he's writing to the body of the church. He's writing to believers. One in verse 7, he says, Remember, at one time you were separated. You were alienated from God. And it's what he's telling us to bring into to remember. From the commonwealth of Israel. Now, that's an interesting statement in the times that Paul's speaking. And strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, And without God in the world so here's what's interesting about this statement that Paul's making in that time period when Paul's writing to the church in order to come to Jesus one had to be associated with Israel or an Israelite do we understand that he was the God to Israel the new the New Testament church was just being launched he had just incorporated Paul and now grafted in the Gentile believers. Up until this point right here, if you wanted to come to know the God, you would have to come by way of God through Israel or through an Israelite. Otherwise, you wouldn't be associated with their God. We see many stories about that in the New Testament. Remember when the little Israeli girl in Naaman with the leprosy? And she said, my God can heal you. He wasn't familiar with the God of Israel. He had the opportunity to be introduced and get saved because of this Israelite young girl that God put in his life. So there was a distinct separation. And so Paul's saying at what time you were as, as, as alienated and separated from God as Old Testament believers or heathens at the time. So Paul's telling us, for one, to come to Jesus today, they must be associated with the church still. The church being the body in some way. Listen to what it says in Romans 3, 10 through 11. As it is written, what's that next word? None is righteous, no, not one. Now watch verse 11. No one understands, and how does it close? No one does what? Seeks for God. Nobody finds God on their own. No, my cousin, my relative, maybe myself, we got, we got people in our church body today that are powerful members of the church, serve God in a great way. They got saved in the prison cell. One by himself in the cell on the floor cried out to God. But he will tell you They didn't come without people that had been investing in his life. HE HAD HEARD THE GOSPEL, HE HAD HAD PEOPLE POURING INTO HIM, SHARING WITH HIM THE LOVE OF GOD, SHARING WITH HIM THAT HIS HOPE IS IN GOD, THAT CHRIST COULD SAVE HIS LIFE, THE HOLY SPIRIT WORKING THROUGH HIM, ALL all THAT WAS SHARED TO HIM. SO WHEN HE CAME TO THE POINT THAT HE SAID HE RELENTED, HE SURRENDERED TO GOD'S WILL FOR HIS LIFE, IT it WASN'T BECAUSE HE FOUND GOD ON HIS OWN. I COULD HAVE HIM UP HERE, and, AND HE WOULD TESTIFY TO IT MANY TIMES. The reason why because it's scriptural no one finds god on their own the reason why we're going to see getting ahead of myself because god purposefully and instinctively uses the church for the gospel that's just called upon the church that's his establishment of the church why because god himself says no one's going to come to me on their own it's scriptural. Nobody ever has. Nobody ever will. So many, just like at the time that Paul's writing to, to Ephesus, saying, and intended, look, no one was going to come to know Christ and their salvation w- without the Israel, the nation of Israel or an Israelite within the nation. Well, today, nobody's going to come to know Christ unless somebody in the body of Christ in the church today has invested in them and poured into them the Word of God. Does that make sense? So it's the same correlation going on today. So let's go back to verse 12. Paul reminds us, just like Israel, you yourself, you and I, were once alienated and separated from God. We all started there. We didn't start off on God's team. We started off alienated from God, separated from God. We were born into sin. Ever since Adam and Eve and the fall of man in the garden, all of creation has been born into sin and a sin nature. So, sadly, because of man's choices all the way back to the garden, and we've continued to fuel that, can't blame it all 100% on Adam and Eve. We supported it as well, but we were born into separation from God, alienated from Him. So, this alone right there should change our perspective and understanding that where we are today as a believer in Christ, that not, while we're no longer separated and alienated from God, we got to consider Acts chapter 1, when God was established in the church. Look what Acts 1.8 tells us. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is Christ talking to the disciples it, you, know, he, you know, he's about to descend. They're wanting to go out and spread the gospel. Paul sent, or Jesus is telling them, no, you don't go anywhere. You stay right here. One, because you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit is not indwelling in you. Why? Because Christ, God, was here. But he says, when I leave, my Father will send you a comforter. So all this is support. He said, you know, you'll receive the power of the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my what? Witnesses. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Is to come to be witnesses for the gospel. That's why there was such a a, a fire for God in the book of Acts during Pentecost. Because it was the unveiling of the Holy Spirit through man. It wasn't the power of the disciples. Man, they must have got that training they got from Jesus for three years. They were good students and they did a great job. No, they didn't. How many times did Jesus tell his disciples, how long must I tarry with you? uh, Jesus struggled with the disciples. They were unlearned, ignorant men. These unlearned, ignorant men did not turn the world upside down in their power. It was the Holy Spirit that came upon them, gifted by God, as promised when Christ ascended back into heaven. Then the Holy Spirit came upon them for the purpose of witnessing Jerusalem, And it says, not only in Jerusalem, but also what? Judea and Samaria. And what does it say here? The end of the what? How much more ends of the earth can America be to Israel? That verse right there got the gospel to us. It never stopped. Acts 1-8 is a fulfilling commandment of God not just Israel we don't have to take a pilgrimage back to Israel to get saved no because Acts 1 8 it has reached the gospel has reached the ends of the earth did it reach through the church at Ephesus or did it reach the ends of the earth through the body of the church See where I'm going, or where Paul's going, doesn't matter where I'm going. Where Paul's going, it's the body of the church that got it there. This is God's will. This is God's plan. When the Jews fumbled the gospel, so to speak, then God, you know, Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, instinctively reached Paul, took Paul, and used Paul to reach the Gentile church. The Jews are still God's chosen people. God's dealing with the Jews. But the gospel was reached to the ends of the earth by the body of the church. Go on to verses 13 and 14. It says, But now in Christ Jesus tells us that you were once afar off, had been brought near by what? By the blood of Christ through the gospel. For he himself is our peace. Christ himself is Christ." who has made us both what one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of what hostility paul acknowledges and what we should acknowledge ourselves and know to be true there is a dividing wall within our culture today is there not it's not one there's dividing walls over race there's dividing walls over uh, uh police and you know and, and our civil service. There's dividing walls within religion, religiosity, denominations. We have now started the you know the election process, and it's already you know we already up to our nostrils fed up with it already, and we still have a long ways to go, and so every day that wall just within republican democrat conservative you know liberal however you want to define them all these cultural definitions every one of them, uh, uh, bricks are being added to it and the walls are just growing it's bringing disunity and that even filters within the church these cultural issues at one point in time the jews had a wall I don't know if you know this, around the walls of Jerusalem, the walls that surrounded the deal, they had a sign that was posted, no Gentiles. These were God's chosen people that said, nope, you're not like us. You're not Jewish. And the sign goes on to say, they found it, it's you know, it's in the archives, carved in stone, that if Gentiles entered the walls, they they entered at the risk of the peril of their own life. They weren't worried about saving Gentiles. They were more worried about making sure the wall stayed up to separate them from the Gentiles. And it still goes on today. We see it again in religion and, and, you know, churches that that can't get along on non-salvation issues, non-heaven and hell issues. Issues within Scripture that deal, you know, a lot of times it's not even a doctrinal stance. It's not one of the five pillars of doctrine. It's just leadership within the church has nothing to do with heaven and hell, and you have churches split over those issues. And it's no bearing on somebody going to heaven or hell, and churches can't get along. It gets to a point that leadership splits over something that's so unimportant. Unless it's your church, you build it with your money, and you're the only member, and you do all the preaching, you're not going to find the perfect church, are you? If you're going to be part of a body of the church, we're going to have to learn as a body of believers that, one, how we do it, it's not about us to begin with. And the more we realize it's not about us, but it's about Christ and His redeeming work and what we're called to do, But if you're going to be part of a local assembly, a body that you're called, you and I are called to be, we're going to have to do some relenting, are we not? It's okay to say that's not my preference. I don't like that. Not the way I'd per se do it. But if it doesn't have to do anything with the gospel and it's not disrupting the gospel, is it an issue? Should it be an issue? No. You don't live at the church. (laughs) You come in fellowship and worship at the church and hopefully have a same common goal through the church to reach a lost world that Christ called us to reach out to, our Judea and Samaria. We have our Judea and Samaria. It's Hunt County. It's to the edges of Collin County, you know. All these counties around, Hopkins County, we have our Judean Samaria that God's called this church and other bodies of believers to have a unified gospel. As a pastor for 24 years now, I can't tell you how many times, multiple times, for the sake of the gospel to do a community project, I've reached out to, you know, a handful of pastors, and this is the vision, this is what I'd like to do, would you like to be a part and when push came to shove, this is you know well this is what we're going to do and how we're going to get the gospel out and blah blah, and they didn't agree with the way we were doing. It. No, I don't want to be a part of that, and they wouldn't associate with it. And it was one hundred percent gospel driven. Well, if somebody's reaching out to you to ask for your participation if you want to be a part of the gospel, and you know the gospel is clearly being given. And God didn't put it on your heart. it put it on somebody else's heart. They're asking you to be a part. Why would we, or why should we be opposed about the way they're doing it? Support it. If it's going to lead to somebody coming to know Christ and getting their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life, isn't that the most important thing? But I've seen it for years. Paul's telling us, simplify it this way there are only two types of people in the world we're not talking about races you know there's only you know there's only far as creation there's only jews and gentiles or the only people god created we have multiple ethnicities but there's only jews and gentiles but far as the scripture goes there's only two types of people saved and lost One's name is either written in the Lamb's book of life, they accepted Christ and His redeeming work on the cross, not what they did, what He did, and they accepted that gift according to Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Or you reject that. Thus one would be unsaved. So there's only saved and unsaved. It's either God's circle or it's man's circle. Go on here. And jump in verse fourteen. For he is our peace, Christ, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing of that hostility through his work. His blood that was sacrificed, not ours. It was his blood that cleansed us. It was his blood that the church, in which the foundation of the church was built upon. Verse 15, it goes on to tell us, By abolishing the law of commandments, getting rid of works, it's no longer works, it's grace. We saw that in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved not of yourself, not works. If it's based on works, then we can boast. No, it's not based on works. It's based on what Christ did, not what we did. So he says, Abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he, Christ, might create in him one new man in place of two. So making peace. By his resurrection, he created in himself a new man. Notice the statement in place of two. To the church, to Christ, and what Christ established at this point through Paul in the furthering of the Gospels to the other ends of the earth, there is no longer Jews and Gentiles. Now there's one in Christ. So eventually what we do have to acknowledge, and the Scriptures acknowledge, that there's only two creations, Jews and Gentiles, as far as races go. Now Christ says by His work on the cross, by His death, by His resurrection, He became a new man. In that new man, it did away with two. Now it's one. Either we're in Christ or we're not in Christ. 1 Corinthians five seventeen tells us that. Therefore, if any man, or 2 uh, Corinthians, I'm sorry. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. Thus the old has passed away. Our old character, our old self, our old stances, our old... Everything that we tried to bring to the party... Is not needed at the party. Christ is a host. He's doing all the serving. He did all the serving. He did all the work. We become one in Christ. Thus, the unity in Christ that Paul spoke and preached on more than any other the unity to the body of Christ. No one is separate from the body. This verse alone. Back in verse 15, brings about the unity of the body. It breaks down these walls that divide the church, that divide the culture. There's only one problem, and that one problem's man. And man's one problem is sin. And there's only one who can overcome and deal with that sin, and it's Christ. Christ. This is what Paul's emphasizing. Let's close out these few, last few verses, and we'll go back to our three questions. It says in verse 18, it says, For through Him we both have access in one spirit, and there it is, one of Christ to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Though you were once alienated and separated, no longer you're not But now are fellow citizens with the saints, other believers, and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the very what? A cornerstone. In whom the whole structure, everything. Can you build anything from an outhouse? Well, I shouldn't say that. You can build an outhouse without a foundation, but... Something as small as an outhouse. Can you build anything to the largest structures in the world without a foundation? No. We cannot build anything in and of ourselves for the glory of God without the foundation of Christ in our life. He is the cornerstone. It's the very first stone that's placed in which every other stone is aligned and is stacked upon in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the what? Spirit. These closing verses here in chapter 2 illustrate the Godhead at work. That one, God's the architect. God has designed it all, purposed it all. God's the architect. Jesus is the foundation of which everything God designed is placed upon. From Genesis 3.15, the very first time the gospel is introduced. Remember, I put enmity between you and the seed, his heel will crush the head of the serpent. Genesis 3.15 promised the coming salvation, and it ends in Revelation. The entire scripture, the entire Bible is about one person. It leads back to one source. And one purpose, and it's Jesus Christ and his redeeming work. That's what God designed. And Jesus is that foundation that holds it all up. And then hold it, the Holy Spirit's the builder. God that dwells within us, that empowers us to labor in the church and through the church. So let's go back to our questions, and and, and we'll get through this and and answer them. Question one was, how involved thus should we be in the church? If Paul's illustrated exactly what the church was established for, then how involved should we be in the church? Now, again, the the sociologists did the study. 81% thought, man, I'm searching for truth. I'm hungry for truth. But, yes, I think I can be a good enough Christian. I don't need to be associated with the church. Well, that goes in complete opposite of what Paul just said. God established the church. God built the church. And we're supposed to be in that church. And if we've accepted Christ, we are already in the church. So the question is, how involved should we be in the church? I would say to the extent that you want to be involved in building the new structure, trained and labored for His good work. Remember Ephesians 2.10, we're created in His workmanship. We're created unto good what? Say works. Designed by God, created in Christ, stand upon the foundation of Christ, and empowered by the Holy Spirit to do good works. Well, how much good works? As many good works as the Holy Spirit can get done through you that's all dependent on how much you want to be involved how much you're willing to labor Paul just told us the father uses the church as his means by which he works meaning we have our role we have jobs we have skills we have talents that's why first Corinthians 12 is so important to know what your spiritual gift is every single believer has been gifted by the Holy Spirit because He empowers it. You can read it right there in 1 Corinthians 12. Every single believer, bar none, nobody, does not have a spiritual gift. And that's not for a a reward to us. Oh, you got saved, I'm going to give you a spiritual gift. No, well, He does give us a spiritual gift, but it's to be used within the church. That's why we have the spiritual gift. That's why it's so important to know what your gift is. Each of us should see ourselves as a spiritual brick in what God's building. Just told us here in verse 21 that it is His building that God is building. So we should be an active part of that. We should be a brick that's being used upon the foundation of Christ. Towards His good works. Colossians 1.18 tells us this it says "And he is the head of the body Christ the church us he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent it's not about where our brick is placed too many believers say oh yeah I want to be involved I, I, I want to be building but where's my brick going what's my brick going to be used for Am I in a place that's going to be decorative? Am I in a place that's going to be seen? Is my brick going to be, you know, an important part? I don't know. That's up to the Holy Spirit. We shouldn't be worried about where we're placed. What if you're the bottom last brick stuck in the corner right before the ceiling tile of the farthest bathroom? Is that good enough for you? You know, I'm you know, being a little facetious here. Or does our brick need to be out in the lobby or up by the pulpit or someplace on display? Paul describes the church as the body. Christ is the head. The head accomplishes everything, even in us physically. The head accomplishes everything. It's a driving force, and it uses the members of our body, the structure of our body, to get done What it what it gets done? If we separate ourselves from the body, is the body? We separate ourselves from the head. How effective are we going to be? Because then we have to take over control. We have to start making our own decisions. We have to start deciding what we're going to do, how we're going to do it. That's why there's too many believers. I say there's too many believers that fail to grasp. When one goes to God for healing, which we should, God sends them to the church. When one goes to God for strength, God sends them to the church. When they need hope, when they need encouragement, God sends them to the church. Why the church? Because that's who God gifted and empowered and he empowered his church, and he called his church to be the source by which he will work through his spirit to do healings and strengthening and providing hope and encouragement and salvation and transformation. God uses the church. He established the church. We, we just read it. We can't deny it. And yet now 81% of the study says, oh, I don't need the church. Well, that's interesting because God says we do need the church. God says, you want my help? I'm going to use the church to help you. It, just personal testimony. That's why it scares me to death. In, in years of counseling, and people fall out of church and you reach out to them, we're missing you. What can we do? How can we pray for you? I beg them. What can I do? I'll do anything. I mean, you can come over, we can talk, we can have What can? And I, sadly, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people utter the words, no, Todd, I, I know I'm fine, I'm struggling. As soon as I get this taken care of, my life back in order, I'll be back. Those are the scariest words I've ever heard him mention, other than somebody denouncing the gospel and Christ. They say, yeah, no, just I'm hurting, I need strength, I need hope. I need all these things as soon as I get it on my own. Hey, I'm going to be right back in church, Todd. No, no. And then they, they go to God and pray for that, which rightfully they should. And God on the other side is saying, i got all that you need. It's at the church that you don't want to be a part of. i got other brothers and sisters in Christ that I've empowered to walk with you. Remember, bear ye one another's burdens. Pick up one another's cross? Those aren't coincidental verses. Because God's saying, i got brothers and sisters in Christ that are going to lift you up. They're going to pick up your cross and carry your cross for you until you get back on your feet. And people don't, want, don't think they need the church or the church isn't important for their walk. I, I can still watch online. I can still read the Bible on my own. Jesus and I are close. I, I still love Jesus. They, they're separating themselves from the head of the church and think they're going to be able to function. We can't function outside of the church effectively. So how much do we need to be involved? I think that pretty much answers it there. The Father ministers to His children, us, through His church. Number two, what does a healthy church look like on the inside? One, a healthy church will transcend cultural norm and trend towards diversity. A group of people with the same economic lifestyle, social status, skin color, uh, favor of music, indulgence, and all this thing, joining together together, it's not miraculous. There's nothing miraculous about that. Go join your local country club. You'll find that all day long, will you not? Now, what's miraculous is when a body of believers come together, unified in a cause greater than them, and they're sacrificial to their wants and desires because they're in one with Christ in the body of His church, towards that goal and that purpose. That's what's miraculous, to get people to come in and surrender themselves to the will of God in unity with other brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what's miraculous. They don't have to have it their way. They want it God's way. That's a miracle. That's what a healthy church looks like. And number three, what does a healthy church engage in outside the church? Paul said we need to see ourselves as God's building on earth. He described that. Jesus is the body, the earth. We are His hands and His feet. It tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, 12. Then if that is the case, which it is, then the question we really need to ask, it poses a different question altogether, If we're to be like Jesus in the flesh, and we are, be ye Christ-like, Paul tells us. The question should be, then what would Jesus be doing if He lived in our community and culture today? Wrap your head around that. If Christ was here today, 2,000 years later, and He was in Hunt County in Greenville, Texas, What would Jesus be doing? I think that would pretty much answer what a healthy church would be doing. It's healthy on the inside, it would be doing on the outside. This is exactly what Jesus would be doing if he was here today. So the question is, are we doing that? Well, I, I, that, uh, you're the one that's called, Todd. You're the pastor. I'm not called to it. No, that's not a calling doing the will of Christ, and sharing the gospel is not a calling. It's a commandment. Of the 600 and whatever, 11, 12, 13 commandments, that's a commandment. It's not a calling. So what would a healthy church be doing on the outside? be doing the exact same thing Jesus did when he walked the earth last time and what he trained the disciples to do. This is why Paul's talking to the aspect of the church in Ephesus, that he's talking about the true church. He's not focusing on administrative structure and leadership. He deals with that in Corinthians and, and Philippians. Now Ephesus, he's saying, no, we're going to talk about what the true purpose of the church is. And he challenges us to these verses, are we a part of that? Is that what we're laboring in? Do we have unity in that? And if we do, then we would be doing what Christ would be doing if he was here. Amen? What are some thoughts, some questions you may have? Oh, man, I thought we'd have some questions through that, yeah, no. That's true. Everybody's motivated, want to move up, accomplish their goals. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, there's in our in our spiritual or religious culture today. There, in the last 20 years, there's been a big emphasis on building the temporal church instead of building the eternal church. We're focused on how we can draw numbers, how we can build bigger buildings. Now, hey, there's 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 mega churches that see people get saved left and right, and glory to God. Just because you're a mega church doesn't mean you're an evil church. Okay. But they're, without a doubt, you can see, you can just get on YouTube and see sermons after sermons that they're preaching, you know, to itching, you know, to people wanting to get their itching ears scratched. They're preaching only, you know, God loves you the way that He is. God will accept you like you are, which He will. But once He accepts you, then He's going to call you to accountability to grow, not to keep on living with your hand in the cookie jar. And, you know, so, but anyway, that's chasing rabbits there. But, no, this is what Paul's emphasizing to the church. you got to remember, as we started this, we established in opening chapter 1, there, there's, there's this deception and a, there's a, a fracturing of the church that's being embedded in Ephesus at this time. Paul had established the gospel. The church was growing. Timothy was doing a great job. Ephesus was at the cultural center, you know, of a seaport. It was a major economy. Paul's gone. He gets word. Now the religious zealots are coming in, and now they're putting in all these works. And, oh, you got to do this, and you got to do that. And Paul's like, no, no, no. Let's go back to the establishment of the church and what God designed, what Jesus is the foundation of, and what the Holy Spirit is building. And that's only the gospel. So, good point. All right, Well, right, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for tonight. We thank you for this passage of truth here. And, uh, Father, we just got to keep it in the right spiritual perspective. We need church. We don't need church only because it says don't forsake from assembly together. Well, that's accurate, it's true. But the reason God doesn't want us to forsake ourselves from assembly together because everything we need from you, God, you provide through your church. There's members that have spiritual gifts that will will feed us and strengthen us and and allow us, you know, to to get to you through your body. And so when we separate ourselves from that, Father, thinking that church isn't important, we can get by on our own, and when everything's good, we'll get back. We're separating ourselves from the head of the body. And uh, so help us take this to heart. And understand the, the, the beauty of the church, the purpose of it, the power of it. And it's all built upon Christ and his testimony. We thank you for your goodness. I ask that you forgive us where we fail you. We ask all these things in Christ's name. God's people said, Amen.